0: So from the, the interaction and dynamics between fashion and the politics, students will have, a I I think, a fresh perspective to look at the history. And also teaching, you just invest 10% and you will be returned from your talented students 90 percentage joy. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week we explore a topic
1: related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Dr. Peidong Sun discusses how fashion played a role in the Cultural Revolution in China. She also shares details of her history studying in China and France, as well as her numerous upcoming book projects.
2: Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
1: And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Peidong Sun from Cornell's History Department.
2: Professor Sun is teaching a course this semester titled Fashion and Politics in 20th Century China, and we can't
1: wait to see
2: how the two relate.
1: Welcome to Speaking of Language, Peidong.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So, Peidong, you have lived, learned, and worked in many different countries. Can you please share with us a little bit about your background and your path with languages?
0: Oh, yeah, I, I spent 10 years at uh, Sun Yat-sen University, uh, that's the capital city of the Guangdong province, uh, which means 129 kilometers from Hong Kong. <laughs> mm-hmm. It includes four years of undergraduate studies majoring in French and a minor mm-hmm, minoring in uh, Chinese languages and the literature and it, it is followed by three years of master's degree in French literature and language. I also went to Lyon de in France as an exchange student and studied economic sociology from uh, 1999 to 2002. As a person who is boring in nature. I accomplished the two PhDs. <laughs> One is in law at Sun yat Sen University, and the other is in sociology at Sciences Po Paris, also known as the Institut politique de Paris. So in terms of language, Chinese, French, and English are my working languages. As you may know, uh, you know, uh, China is a multi-ethnic, multi-language, and multi-dialect country. Yeah. We have 56 uh, ethnic groups, right? Mm-hmm. So, but our uh, dialects are usually divided, you know, uh, we, we said it's 10 major dialects. But uh, people who don't speak them, you will feel they, the others, when they speak them, you, you just think they are uh, uh, foreigners, I just You just can't understand those, mm-hmm. uh, those dialects. Uh, for example, when I was in China at home with my parents, I spoke uh, Guangdonghua. Guanzhong dialect is a sub-dialect of Shanxi dialect. At school, I spoke Mandarin for teaching, you mm-hmm. know. And to interview my uh, Chinese folks in uh, Guangdong province for my first book, I learned to speak Cantonese which is a totally foreign language for me. To gladly oral history for my second book, I learned to speak Shanghainese, huh. another foreign language for me. Wow. So what prompted your initial interest in French? Oh, that was, uh, y- you know, in China, uh, the France and the French, French culture, have been always something very romantic. Yeah. We have already mm-hmm. romanticized all, th- all those things which uh, have been far away from our ordinary life. That just create my initial, you know, uh, sure uh, interest. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. The the language of love, right? Exactly. Or so they and say. a blighter one. It, so
0: it was a blind love. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Well, so I'm told that you had a funny instance with language shock during your first visit to France in the year 2000. What happened there?
0: Yes, that was pretty funny. Uh, maybe it, it's funny for me. Uh, you you tell me if it is funny <laughs> for you guys. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I spent four years learning French in Guangzhou. Most of the learning and reading materials and, at Sun Yat-sen University back in the late 1990s were classic French literature, Sure, most of them, except for a small part of business French. So you you can imagine that I was taught the written languages Mm -hmm. uh, of the 17th century, 16th century, 17th, 18th, 19th century, such as the masterpieces of, you know, you name it, Voltaire, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Balzac, Dumas, Hugo, you know, André Gide, Marcel Broust, uh, Colette, François Mauriac, all the things. So... When I spoke French with French people on French Street in uh, 2000, I was like an ancient dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Those folks thought my French was too recherché. That means unnecessarily sophisticated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can uh, I can relate to uh, to that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to be unnecessarily sophisticated. Yes, I yeah. love it.
2: <laughs> is there is there such a
0: thing though? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> so, but I I don't know you. You know, now in your uh, language teaching for students at Cornell, did, what kind of material, like textbook, you use? Maybe that's that's very important for students oh absolutely yeah what, yeah what they are learning those language must be a vivid one right yeah yep. you know had a life not the just the, the book the language we can read in mm-hmm. books
2: Yep, yep certainly mm-hmm. well and and in today's day and age we have easy access at our fingertips on our phones and our devices and the internet to get current glimpses into the um, the society and the culture. So that's that's nice. Yeah. Um, so speaking of teaching, you are currently teaching a course on fashion and politics in 20th century China um, that is also connected to the Cornell Contemporary China Initiative Lecture Series this semester. So um, first of all, what is your course
0: about? Fashion and politics. I actually took the main title of my first book, which mm-hmm. is Fashion and Politics. And also, uh, I I think that's a good point or perspective to uh, closely investigate, investigate what had happened in 20th century in China. So from the, the interaction and dynamics between fashion and the politics, students will have a, I, I think, a fresh perspective to look at the history. Mm-hmm.
2: So, how does your course tie in with the lecture series? What's the connection between those two?
0: It's I invited four uh, leading scholars from the U.S., Europe, and Australia, so they uh, their research have been at some point closely related to the main theme, which is fashion and politics. So, I hope my students uh, could. Have a, a unique opportunity to, to know those scholars' uh, cutting-edge research uh, based on what we have already discussed uh, in class, which means um, like the fashion crimes, a communist political aesthetics, so their everyday clothing, fashion and the politics, those popular languages, and the revolutionary ideology, literature, relationship between color and the politics. You know, what the micro-politics of modern love, hmm. of course, that love have been politicized.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yes. So all those interesting questions. And also, I, uh, you know, uh, collaborate with the Cornell Fashion Textile Collection. Oh, yes, they helped us me to uh, you know uh, have a fashion exhibit for mm-hmm. my students, so students can touch, of course, with gloves, special gloves. <laughs> yes, those uh, beautiful, beautiful and well, re- you know, preserved uh, outfits in uh, 20th century mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a very beautiful collections. Nice. And they ask the questions. I explained. So that was a very uh, good. We have. You can feel the good vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So let's zoom in a little bit. Then, what is a politicized fashion? Uh, what What prompted you to to investigate that connection between politics and fashion?
0: Oh, that was original. A um, misunderstanding. Uh, By you guys, I mean the Western um, journalists, especially a French Mm. one. People would think that during the Cultural Revolution or Mao's years, like after 1949 to 1976, Mm. you Chinese people, you didn't have any fashion, especially during the Cultural Revolution. You always had the blue, black, and uh, green. Mm-hmm. No other things. So I, based on my own research, uh, I found it was not true. People during that time, for example, in the Guangdong province, which is very close to Hong Kong, at that time, the international affair, which is import and export you know, communities or goods, products, was still, you know, were continued during the Cultural Revolution. So you have the businessmen, foreign businessmen, uh, came to do business with Communist China, even during the Cultural Revolution. So their outfits were not something like the, uh, you know, like the Chinese. Most of Chinese preferred to wear well at that time. So that offered the ordinary people a different view of lifestyle mm-hmm. outside of China. And during the Cultural Revolution, the connection and the exchange in, uh, between peoples, I mean people in China and their family, their relatives, but who resident out of China, for example, Hong Kong, Macau. Or, uh US for example mm-hmm. so they because the time the the life was not was hard for Chinese people their relatives send goods including you know the clothing included to back to China so mm. they have had the sources of showing or material of showing their fashion sense even during the Cultural Revolution. That's basically, you know, you you, you can say um, why the book is about fashion and the politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes.
2: When you talked a little bit about the use of color and the differentiation between colors, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how fashion actually reflected power structures or also how it um, became a way of... of showing like either obedience or resistance?
0: Yes, that's a very uh, good question. Uh, I In 2015, I published an article in the China Quarterly, uh, which is basically talk about uh, people's, uh, you know, uh, not only the obedience, that's all the you know, the huge stereotype by Western audience or uh, scholars, or sometimes, or public. Uh, not only the obedience, but the disobedience, transmissions, and resistance by using their, you know, everyday uh, clothing fashion as a tool to show their mixed feelings of fashion under uh, the mouth during a Hmm. high, you know, uh, communist uh, revolution period. Uh, I just gave you one example of how color, uh, like, you know, during the Cultural Revolution, Chairman Mao uh, received the Red Guards from Hmm. all of China in Tiananmen Square eight times. And uh, uh, you know, at that time, he himself wore a you know green military uniform. That shows, but not all you know before Cultural Revolution, except uh, for several very unique occasions, like Chaman Mao, uh, you know, m- met with the generals at that time as a. Uh, the party leader or the uh, uh, chef of the state, he would well the military uniforms, but that was very rare. However, during the Cultural Revolution, when Chairman Mao received those r- little Red Guards, he himself wore a military r- r- uniform. That shows to the young people our country. Our state power now is in danger. Mm-hmm. You, the young generation, the revolution communist successors, you need to stand up and you need to show your uh, show your perseverance, show your uh, confidence, show your um, revolution of spirits to support me, to get the power back to me. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, The green of the military, PLA military uniform, tells story. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. How do your students react to this topic? Do they draw similar comparisons with other cultures and times?
0: Oh, that's very, uh, that's a good question. I have um, students, um, only one student from mainland China. The rest of uh, Americans are. They are uh, also international students from other countries, mm-hmm. like Latin America or um, uh, Europe. So students have very, um, I think, from the feedback I I witnessed in my class, I found they they that they have now they have mixed uh, you know uh, uh, feedbacks. Hmm. From one way, the cultural revolution, especially the dynamics. The power structure between fashion and the politics uh, really fascinated them. I, mm-hmm. I can say that very clear because we have very intense discussions in class, after class, and on the canvas system, you see very often, I mean me, the, the debates between them, you know, they very, you know, they have been very well trained, (laughs) and um, they said, oh, I found your uh, uh, point is very interesting, but I think X, Y, Z, the reason, so you see before, uh, in class and after class, students really are fascinated by the topic, and then they Mm -hmm. have very, very intensive uh, discussions. Mm
1: -hmm. What other courses will you be teaching uh, in the future?
0: Oh, for the spring twenty uh, twenty-three, I will teach two uh, two thousand courses. Uh, one is global Maoism: history and present. The other one is tyranny and dignity: Chinese women from the Cultural Revolution to Hong Kong protests. Why wow. that's a global Maoism? Just because you know a. This course will help students have a better understanding why Maoism has been still hunted, not only in China, but also in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And for the tyranny and the dignity, the, basically it's a woman's history. That title just came from the, the day I saw the Iranian woman who you know? Who died and who? Those people threw their their scarves into the into the fire. Right? They danced. How brave they are! And that remind me, the woman, the Chinese woman, how brave they were, and the human condition, their living condition, and they are have been always full of pain the pain, the violence, the mm-hmm. the violence, the fear from their family, from their community, from the state power. But how resilient those Chinese women they have been and they are still they are. Mm-hmm.
2: Peidong, your new book is titled "Underground Reading: How the Cultural Revolution Shaped the Xi Jinping Generation." A key concept of this book originates from linguistic studies.
0: Tell us more about that. The book hadn't been published, so I just give a very brief um, you know, uh, introduction with uh, about that uh, concept. Sure. Actually, I use the uh, accusation. I heard that word I, uh, in your previous interviews so several times. So for me, that's I guess also for you guys. It's a wildly used concept, but it is not necessarily obvious, you know, for people in different discipline. So when I mentioned the concept, people, some people would ask me, uh, "What's the meaning of that word?" And why do you use that word? But Hmm. I think, you know, I'm talking about a revolutionary acquisition. That's, for me, that's a key idea uh, Hmm. for the book. Oh, that is really
2: interesting. When is this book coming out? Um, I hope it's uh, 2024. Well, now you just gave the listeners something to look forward to
0: in the not-too-too-distant future.
1: What other projects are you working on right now?
0: Yes, I, I'm working on uh, four other books. After publishing. How many?
2: Four? Four, yes. Hey, Dong,
0: wow. Yes, you. Before, you know, when Chairman Man Xi Jinping took the office late 2012, mm-hmm. um, I published two books 2012 and 2013, early 2013. But after that, in one decade, I haven't published one. So that's why you see now I have four books, same time. Wow! So this one, uh, the underground reading, how the Cultural Revolution shaped the Xi Jinping generation, will publish in 2024, and another one is uh, the, the nature of the Chinese Communist Party, hmm. and. Inside History, that one will publish in 2025, 2025. and uh, another book in French, I guess 2025. And I I also have another uh, memoir, my first one, (laughs) and I may be the the only one, uh, (laughs) in English.
2: Okay. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like you know how to keep yourself busy. I like
0: that. Oh, you know, in Isaka, except academic life, you have no life outside of campus. What do <laughs> you do? Weather is so bad, not today. <laughs> then you have to do something. What I can do, what I'm Good to do. That's right, right. Yes. Except teaching, that's right.
2: Of course, yeah. Well, as long as it brings you joy, right? That is all.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that absolute is important. joy. And yes. also teaching. You just uh, invest 10% and you will be returned from your talented students 90% joy. Yeah. And really, oh. you know, uh, they are just, uh, they are genius.
1: Well, Pei Dong, this has been wonderful to chat about with you. Before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that makes you laugh. Let's hear that word.
0: Oh, that's related to my, uh, my name. My oh. first name. Exactly. You know, a French word, paidon. Uh, when I uh, arrived in France, two thousand people, some people couldn't pronounce well my all correctly from my side, my first name. Mm-hmm. The French people they will say, Bedong you know, in mm-hmm. France that uh, G pronounced. So I, but for for Chinese, "ge" like like the my first feedback will be brother, that's Ge. ge. So, But you know I'm a woman, right? So I don't want people to call me a peidong brother. <laughs> so they, here's what I, 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 I did. So I said peidong. That's peidong in English means uh, concrete. You know that's the one of the con- construction materials, right? So uh, I said uh, if you... You, you couldn't pronounce, if you pronounce Beidong, then that's similar to my name, my first name in Chinese. <laughs> and also, more, most importantly, for the people who, who have a good sense of uh, uh, popular culture at that time, they will know there was one of the most French slang. <laughs> it's "les Beidong. Let's be That means, you know, oh, let it be or, you know, let's move on. So
2: I like, like it. That.
0: Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Wonderful.
2: Thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Peidong.
0: My pleasure. Thank you both.
1: Next week, we'll speak with Julia de Aragon from the board of the Latino Civic Association of Tompkins County. Until then. Auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu. Or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
2: Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
1: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
2: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
1: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University.
0: We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.